This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Care for a round of golf? Hit the ball. There it is. Or how about some poetry? Come on, I need to know. What did you think of my poems? Tell me. I loved them. I'm Jared Hall from Entertainment Weekly, and here's what to watch Friday, January 8th through Sunday, January 10th. We're counting down this weekend's top five must-see picks from TV and movies, but first, your entertainment headlines. The musical Mean Girls will not be returning when Broadway reopens. It's the latest production to close because of the pandemic. The national tour is still planning on resuming, eventually, and there's a film adaptation still in the works. British actor Chris Mason has joined the cast of Riverdale, playing Chad Gecko, the controlling and jealous Wall Street husband, as he's described by the CW, to Veronica Lodge. Yep. Her husband. The show jumps ahead seven years early in season five, which kicks off January 20th. And Canada's Drag Race has been renewed for a second season, which will premiere later this year. Toronto-based Queen Priyanka won the inaugural season of the RuPaul's Drag Race spinoff in September. For other news, reviews, interviews, and much more, head over to EW.com. It is sure to be an emotional weekend for fans of Jeopardy and Alex Trebek. Friday night's episode is the last one he taped before his death in November. We'll have more on that episode a little later. But first, today's trivia question, which is about the legendary host. In 2011, Trebek broke the Guinness World Record for most episodes of a single game show hosted by the same person. Who was the previous record holder that Trebek overtook? Bob Barker, Dick Clark, or Chuck Woolery? Stick around for that answer. And now it's time for today's picks. Our number five pick is a little poetry in motion. Apple's Dickinson is back for season two, fresh off a Peabody Award win for its first season. The new episodes continue the coming-of-age story of Haley Steinfeld's Emily Dickinson as she struggles with the idea of fame and whether to publish her poems. And, naturally, everything she lost in season one, with Sue marrying Austin and the death of Ben. Steinfeld spoke with EW's Maureen Lee Linker about how all of that factors into Emily's season two journey. Taking all of that loss and pain and, and hardship into into consideration, that those are things that still haunt Emily uh, through season two. Um, but with all of that, uh, having experienced and gone through everything that she did in season one, she came out of it having won the right to call herself a writer comfortably, confidently, and in front of her father and her whole family. And with that now begs the question, do I publish my poems. Do I share my writing with the world? Because once I do that, I cannot go back. Fans will be glad to know that Dickinson remains the only 19th century period piece to feature lines like, she's so extra. 
The new season also features the return of fan favorites, including Wiz Khalifa as Death, and new guest stars, including Nick Kroll as Edgar Allan Poe. Keep your fingers crossed for John Mulaney's Thoreau to pop back up alongside him. After a nearly two-year break, Star's American Gods is finally back for season three on Sunday, picking up the story of everyone's favorite demigod ex-con. This season, Shadow Moon is hiding out in the town of Lakeside after discovering that Mr. Wednesday is his father, but he's about to make another discovery, that he can't ignore the godly blood that runs through his veins. Here's a preview. I don't do your bidding anymore. If I don't have the loyalty of my own son, how can I expect support for anyone else? You're gonna have to come up with a better con than that. Well, looky who's here. We will hunt and kill every one of you that gets in our way. Is there anyone you haven't managed to piss off yet? I'm thinking. Shadow Moon's not the only one who's had a difficult journey. American Gods changed showrunners yet again for season three and saw more behind-the-scenes turmoil. You can read about that at EW.com. But E.P. Neil Gaiman promises that the story is, quote, back on track this season, and star Ricky Whittle said he is, quote, extremely proud of the stories we're telling in season three. If that doesn't pique your excitement, there are also going to be a lot of new faces this season, including Danny Trejo and Dominique Jackson as new incarnations of Mr. World, Game of Thrones star Ewan Rayon as leprechaun Liam Doyle, and Marilyn Manson as a Viking death metal singer. Talk about perfect casting. It all kicks off this Sunday at 8 o'clock on Stars. Before we move on to our number three pick, let's check in with EW Digital Director Shana Naomi Krokmal to ask the question, whatcha watching? Shana, your pick is a show that is actually new this weekend. Please tell us about it. Okay, I'm obsessed with Lupin. It's on Netflix. And I'm going to say off the top here, I don't speak French. So if I'm butchering these, um, that's on me, not on them. And an important thing to know when you're going to watch this show is... I know there's a whole debate about dubs versus subs and how to watch things that, but I highly recommend listening to it in French with subtitles, partly because you'll have to put your phone down and partly because the French is beautiful and it all takes place in Paris. So it's a five episode limited series. Um, it is about uh, this man, Arsène Lupin, who is I don't, like a con man, thief, heist uh, extraordinaire. Um, it's inspired by, in a kind of meta way, um, a longstanding French classic, is my understanding, <laughs> of a book about a gentleman thief, essentially. Danny Ocean. <laughs> if Danny Ocean was, like, as famous as Sherlock, basically. Sure. Okay. Right? So it, even in the context of the show, um, Lupin is a character in this book who is much beloved um, and who has inspired this man um, because his father gave him the book when he was a child before his fa father was taken away and imprisoned for stealing um, a necklace, um, which he may or may not have actually stolen. He dies in prison. His son grows up and is inspired by this classic text to essentially become a gentleman thief. Um, it's, it's twisty and turny. It has like a little, a little bit of that kind of Sherlock, a little bit of that Ocean's Eleven. It also reminded me a little bit of Suits from USA. Um, it's really fun. It's never too violent, but it has a lot of suspense, 
and a lot of action. All right. What is then your your ultimate hot take, your elevator pitch? What do you love so much about this show? I love it because it is a smart heisty police drama. Omar Sy, who plays the main character, is outstanding. He's charming. He's seductive in this way where you can understand why people fall for him. It's shot beautifully in Paris. A whole bunch of the first episode actually is shot inside the Louvre. Um, So it is a good distraction, but it's smart. It makes you work a little bit to keep up. All right, Shayna, love it. Everyone check out Lupin. It is streaming now on Netflix. Let's get back to our picks for this weekend. As we mentioned earlier, tonight is sure to be emotional for Jeopardy fans, with Friday's episode marking the late Alex Trebek's final appearance. The beloved host taped his last episode just 10 days before his death from pancreatic cancer in November. Jeopardy executive producer Mike Richards recently spoke to EW about Trebek's final day on set. Those final five episodes we shot, three the first day and then two the second day. And they were... They were great. And you'll watch them and you'll go, this guy's as healthy as could be. And this is this is not a sick person at all. He had that much willpower. Uh, and, you know, we knew how much he was fighting. And that's what made the performance even more impressive. I, I went to the door where, you know, his exit and said, uh, hey, that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen. And he looked up and he did not like to be complimented. That, that that was, you know, kind of staring down the mouth of a great white <laughs> when you do that, because he really didn't like that. He yeah. didn't like things to be about him, and he didn't like people that kissed up to him. But I had to say it because it was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen. And he looked up, and he kind of, and he was exhausted, obviously, and he looks up and he goes, thank you. Wow. And for him to even say thank you was like he knew what he had done and appreciated the fact that we all knew what he had done. And, you know, again, no idea that that was going to be the last time I would see him on the set. So those last few two days are very special, and I'll never forget them. Check your local listings for tonight's Jeopardy! episode to make sure you won't forget either. That is three picks down, two to go. Before we get to those, it's time for our soundbite of the week. Our inaugural pick comes from season three of Cobra Kai, which premiered last week on Netflix. In episode five, titled Miyagi-Do, Billy Zabka's Johnny is trying to encourage Sholo Maraduena's Miguel to push harder with his rehab and get up out of his wheelchair. Doing so by dangling a swimsuit magazine over him via a fishing pole from the balcony above. What's this? This is a collection of the tastiest babes of 1988. And you're not gonna get to see them unless you grab it. Okay. You're gonna have to try harder than that. You know, I can just find these pictures on my phone, right? It's not the same. Chicks are hotter on the page. Oh, Johnny, so out of touch yet still funny. And that takes us to our top two picks this weekend, which we'll get to right after this break. Hey folks, it's Hunter Lewis, editor-in-chief of Food & Wine. This fall, we're launching the new Food & Wine Classic in Charleston with our partners at Southern Living Travel and Leisure, and we want to see you there. This incredible three-day culinary experience will showcase the hospitality, food, drinks, and culture of one of our favorite cities in the country. Join us September 27th to 29th to learn more from iconic chefs, share a glass with innovative wine experts, and get to know Charleston with one-of-a-kind experiences curated by the experts at Food & Wine, Southern Living, and Travel and Leisure. Tickets are on sale now at foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. That's foodandwine.com forward slash Charleston Classic. See you down in Charleston. 
Welcome back to EW's What to Watch. Today in entertainment history, the 14th Critics' Choice Awards were held January 8, 2009 in Santa Monica, California. The big winner was Slumdog Millionaire, which won five awards, including Best Film and Best Director for Danny Boyle. It would go on to win in those same categories at the Oscars the next month. There was also a tie at the Critics' Choice Awards for Best Actress that year, Anne Hathaway for Rachel Getting Married and Meryl Streep for Doubt. Oddly, the same thing happened the next year, with Streep winning again for Julie and Julia and tying with the blind sides, Sandra Bullock. Number two. At number two this weekend is the new HBO documentary, Tiger. This two-part doc delves deep into the life and career of iconic golfer Tiger Woods, from his childhood devotion to the game and his meteoric rise to his troubled fall and epic comeback, culminating in his victory at the 2019 Masters Tournament. I think Earl had the master plan since Tiger started walking. He asked me to ask his dad if he could play some other sports. But Mr. Woods said he had to concentrate on his golf. I wanted to protect that sweetness of him. It was a quality that I loved about him. I could tell he didn't know what was coming. The doc features interviews with many key figures in Woods' life, including Rachel Yucatel, the woman at the center of the 2009 sex scandal that forever changed Woods' career. Coupled with never-before-seen footage, it's an intense and rare glimpse into the life of a sports superstar. Part 1 premieres Sunday at 9 o'clock, with Part 2 debuting a week later on HBO. And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, our number one pick. That honor goes to RuPaul's Drag Race. Yes, the show kicked off last week, but it's still top of our list because of that crazy season 13 premiere, which included one of the biggest twists ever in the history of the show. As the queens enter the workroom, they were immediately sent to the main stage in pairs, and a trio in one case, where the pressure was on to make a big first impression in the form of a lip sync. The six winners went on their merry way while while the seven who lost were sent to the pork chop loading dock, named for the very first queen eliminated in season one of the show. EW's resident drag race expert and digital writer Joey Nolfi joins me now to break down all the action. Let's get into it here. Season 13 kicked off with a big twist. So here's what I'm curious about. How vital are these twists to the longevity of the show. Do viewers expect these now at this point? Or, you know, will they be disappointed or turned off if there isn't one? I don't think that twists are necessarily vital to, like, the longevity of the show. I mean, these fans would watch the show in any format. I think the selling point is and always has been the queens themselves. I don't think anyone is, is out there saying Drag Race would be dead without a twist to the format. And actually, we saw a lot of people over the weekend saying that it was a bit sadistic that the show put the quote-unquote eliminated queens through this period of stress and thinking that they're all eliminated on episode one after those lip syncs. Yes, the pork-chopped queens, as they were called. Yes, they're all just chilling in the um, pork-chop loading dock, I think it was. And I just, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, I just want to hear Tamisha Iman say, the lady said go home over and over. Um, just keep Tamisha in the pork-chop loading dock. The whole season, that's just like white noise to me. I'm going to fall asleep to that every night. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I I don't think anybody would be disappointed if the show had kicked off like every other premiere, basically. But sure. the twist certainly gives us, you know, plenty to buzz about because we're still talking about it a week later. 
Okay, so this twist continues into the second episode. Those seven queens who didn't win their lip sync are standing by in the pork chop loading dock waiting for something to happen. And then RuPaul addresses them over the uh, over the PA system, tells them they have the chance to return to the competition, but first they have to vote to eliminate one queen. So here's a little preview. I don't want to vote anyone off. I don't know any of you. We yeah. literally just met. None of us saw each other's lip syncs. I don't know how to pick. I mean, the only thing we know about each other is our first impression. We have to vote someone off. This is the competition. This is what we signed up for. All right, bitches, it's about to go down. On a scale of like gagged to gooped, how big of a deal is this? I mean, I can tell you absolutely nothing about it because I'd like to keep my life. Um, I don't want to be kidnapped by the Drag Race Mafia for dig- for digging into secrets. Um, but I would say for loyal viewers, it's amusing. I mean, it- it's always good to spice up the format and get people talking. It's not like Drag Race can literally inject the spirit of Vanjie directly into our veins. So this twist to the format, which will play out in the episodes ahead, is a nice jolt to the system. Um, it- I mean, it's a big de- deal for the scale, I think, that they're putting this twist on and stretching it out across these episodes. But I would say stay tuned because I think if you were paying attention in the first episode, Rosé and Denali might be onto something. So you mentioned that, um, you know, really what viewers are are into this show for are the queens. So let's talk about specifically one of them first. The season includes the first trans man, Got Mick. Um, what did he tell you? you? You spoke with all of them. What did he tell you about what it means to him to be part of this season? I mean... Gottmik is such a character and it was really adorable because he seemed to be really nervous on the first episode. I mean, he's, he's a very big personality and his social media is adorable. He's a very cute little personality and he's a ridiculously talented and successful makeup artist before the show. Um, so he had a huge following. Uh, and I think the children definitely are going to be gagged as the season goes on by what he produces on the runway. But his drag is interesting because he is a trans man, assigned female at birth, who dresses up in feminine drag for a living, so his relationship to the art form is definitely not what we're used to seeing on this show. But in the preseason interviews you're talking about, he said before his transition that going out in full head-to-toe drag to the clubs and stuff, not even necessarily performing, was the only time people thought that he was a guy because he wasn't satisfied with his appearance out of drag. So doing that hyper-feminine, exaggerated drag that signaled like, hey, I'm somebody who's dressing up, signaled to people around him, this is a guy doing drag. And that actually gave him confidence and security and knowing that he could transition without having to subscribe to the hyper-masculine ideals out of drag. He could be himself as a feminine man doing feminine drag. And I think that that's the really beautiful thing about God Makes Drag is that it's not just an art form. It's something that literally changed his life. Lastly here, what is your overall impression with this batch of queens? I mean, the season is is wonderful so far. I mean, each year, the heart and the soul of the show, the thing that makes it what it is, is the queens. They're the ones at the center of the memes of those hilarious moments that live on, you know, now 10, 11, 12 years after these seasons air. And this cast is great. It's a real testament not only to the interesting souls that they are, but to the show's casting and the savvy of producers finding these people. And they're all such eclectic, unique styles on this season. And I think it's going to be a really, really great stretch of episodes. All right. Well, season 13 of RuPaul's Drag Race airs Fridays at 8 o'clock on VH1. Thanks so much, Joey. Thank you, Jared. 
It is time for the answer to today's trivia question. Or should I say the question to today's answer? In 2011, Jeopardy! host Alex Trebek broke the Guinness World Record for most episodes of a single game show hosted by the same person. Who was the previous record holder that Trebek overtook? Bob Barker, Dick Clark, or Chuck Woolery? Come on down if you said Bob Barker, who hosted more than 6,700 episodes of The Price is Right before retiring in 2007. Well, that is our show for this weekend. We'll have more news and must-see picks for you on Monday, so be sure to follow or subscribe to What to Watch so you don't miss our daily recommendations, more of which can be found at EW.com. I'm senior TV editor Jared Hall. You can find us on Twitter at EW, and I'm at Jared Hall. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great weekend. What to Watch. What to Watch is written by Tyler Akalina, edited and produced by Joshua Heller, produced and hosted by Jared Hall, and executive produced by Shana Naomi Krokmal and Carly Usden.